a child, frankly, is more likely to be killed in a car accident, unfortunately, or commit suicide than, than die of COVID. So all of that together, and I'll send you this article because it really calculates, Please. means that we are in a good place. Yes. Our COVID vaccines, if you're vaccinated and boosted, you should feel really very protected from something that was so scary yeah. for two full years. And I also think that your humanity, you know, manifesting your humanity by being around people. I don't find that a selfish thing. In fact, I'm kind of surprised on Twitter when people say it's selfish to want to go back to normal, because how is it selfish to feed your soul and to be around others? And also, how is it selfish to open up medical care or schools or alcohol rehabilitation services or all the things that ended up not getting very much attention and and we are seeing the profound effects of you know people not being able to get the treatment that they need welcome to the good life coach podcast i am your host michelle lamoureux the intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Monica Gandhi, who is an infectious disease doctor, professor of medicine, and associate chief in the division of HIV Infectious Diseases, and Global Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She is also the director of the UCSF Center for AIDS Research and the medical director of the HIV Clinic at San Francisco General Hospital. Her research focuses on HIV in women and most recently on how to mitigate the COVID-19 pandemic, which is what she's back on the show to talk about with us today. And before we get started, I'll just note that this interview is not to be considered medical advice. Any decisions you make for your health and well-being should always be discussed with your doctor or trusted healthcare provider. And just keep in mind that this was recorded on March 23rd and data is constantly changing. One final note before we dive into today's interview All of the show notes from today and the resources and articles that you will hear Dr. Gandhi reference will be available over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 176 for today's interview. Again, that's over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 176. On that note, let's get into the show. Here we go. Welcome back, Dr. Gandhi. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you. Well, you were here on August 3rd of 2021, giving us an update at that time. Delta was just coming on the scene. And here we are. Now we've got Omicron and a new variant of it. And I think that people get really overwhelmed and there's so much data. And also what I find personally frustrating is that people that I respect and look to for information have very different opinions. And it makes it hard for the average person, I think, to understand what's going on. I think that's a really great point that everyone, especially if you go on Twitter, has different interpretations ranging from doomsday scenarios to kind of calm interpretations of data. Um, and you know, one thing I would say is that Omicron 
in a way was a shock and in a way wasn't, we're always actually going to get new variants. Um, and the question is, at what point do you say you have the tools to deal with any variant and anything that comes with COVID? If we have vaccines that work across all the variants, which they do to a certain degree, at least in terms of protecting against severe disease, if we have surveillance and if we now have treatments for those who are vulnerable or immunocompromised to help them when their vaccines don't work well, yeah. do you at that point say, okay, I'm going to live with this virus, stop imposing on the public to do things like masking and distancing and work with the tools we have and know that we're going to have to live with the virus with these tools. Yes. And that's one of the things I so appreciate about you. And truthfully, I was on Twitter a ton this summer, which is where I found you. And I was like, okay, I love Dr. Gandhi's approach. It's very balanced. Um, And at some point in September, I just had to get off because it's just a really, uh, it it was just too much. It was just too much. And at that point, you know, we were as protected as we were going to be. And 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 Omicron really wasn't on the scene and then things shifted again. So I'm grateful to have like an updated conversation. What's interesting, I was thinking about this, when, when you were last on, we discussed two things that at the time I didn't realize weren't really widely accepted or were considered a little controversial. And um, the first was this idea of going endemic. You were talking mm-hmm. about this back in August. And you know, are some people still going for zero COVID? I mean, where where are we? And can you explain what endemic means? Because I think what you were talking about made sense to me. So that's why we were, you know, I covered that. Yeah, I mean, you're really right that I wrote an article for the Washington Post in September, so soon after we talked, to discuss and to 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 introduce this word endemic, actually. Yes, yes. Um, the entire purpose of it was to introduce the word endemic before it was even endemic. And the reason is, is that, I and most infectious disease um, physicians knew that we would not eradicate uh, COVID-19 and and can't get to COVID-0. And it's actually four reasons, and it has nothing to do with human behavior, why we can't eradicate COVID-19. It has to do with the viral properties itself. Really, that if you look at smallpox, the only virus that we've ever eradicated in humans, it had four characteristics that COVID-19 does not have that allowed eradication. No animal reservoirs. Okay, COVID-19 has at least 29 species of animals that carry COVID. You can't kill all those animals. Second is that it has a long infectious period, COVID. Smallpox was really short. You can even spread it before you're symptomatic. So COVID, that makes it almost felt, makes it impossible to eliminate. Third is that it looks like a whole bunch of other infections. It looks like influenza, RSV, other respiratory pathogens. Smallpox only looked like itself. You could Mm. identify. And the fourth is that our vaccines are excellent against protecting against severe disease. We've seen that with each successive variant, but they increasingly can't protect us against mild infection as our antibodies go down. They don't create what's called sterilizing immunity. And those four reasons are why we cannot get to COVID zero. As you noticed, I didn't say it's because we didn't mask hard enough or distance hard enough or lockdown hard enough. And even China as of this week now is contemplating abandoning their COVID zero strategy, which is the only country left doing this. Yeah. And it seems like in Europe, they, they've already moved on to some degree, you know, yeah. right. So it's, yes. just, that's the other they've thing. They've gone to what you said. Is endemic. Yeah. 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 So and endemic, what does that mean? Endemic, yes. Just to define that. Please. It's a pandemic uh, phase of the virus, which is when it's creating terrible havoc, terrible deaths, terrible hospitalizations, really high levels of illness. And then what endemic means is when we have it under control with our tools, 
We always have to keep on applying those tools. No one is saying that we're done with COVID. In fact, I'm I'm really surprised when people say the administration says the pandemic's over. No, they don't. They said that they're going to vaccinate and treat and keep on surveilling and keep on working on it. But it gets it so that it's not the dominant number one news story. And it's not the dominant thing that health thinks about. It is one of the many problems that we deal with because we have the tools. And that's what endemic means. It will always be with us, but we have to manage it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you had talked about off-ramps, including in regard to masking. Um, Before we get there, I do want to ask you about masking. Let's take a step and just help us understand. You've talked twice now about how the vaccines are protecting against severe illness and death. At one point with Delta and the previous variants, the vaccine in theory was protecting us from getting it and spreading it, which was amazing. We're not there anymore. Is that true? We're not there anymore. Okay most prominent with the alpha variant, that it not only protected us against severe disease, but essentially transmission. And that's what um, getting even mild disease and passing it on to others. And that's what the CDC communicated during alpha. But they didn't account for two things, and neither did many people, including me. One is that um, the variants are going to come. So new variants are keep on coming. And our antibodies don't work as well against the variants because they have spike mutations, they have mutations across the spike protein and our vaccines are designed to show us the spike protein right now. And so if you get more and more mutations, the antibodies don't work as well. So you can't fight mild disease as well in your mouth and nose, because that's actually where antibodies work best up in the upper respiratory tract. The second is that antibodies do come down with time. It's just normal. It's too, you can't be so proteinaceous that you're carrying all those antibodies in your bloodstream. So they are going to go down with time your cells, your cellular immunity is still there, but they're only there to protect you against severe disease. So it's a fact of, it is a fact. We maybe got spoiled at the beginning because we thought this would hold, but then in, an, in another way, if we really look back on the world, the polio vaccine actually doesn't stop all polio. Measles doesn't stop all measles. It protects you against severe disease. Is that right? I guess I didn't know that because this is the question I wanted to ask you when we're using the word breakthrough, because I was yeah. going to ask my understanding, because I got my titers checked specifically for, for measles when it was circulating. Yes. I yes. hadn't had a vaccine since, you know, I was a kid and I had my husband check. I had titers. He didn't. Yes. So I was like, you get boosted immediately because he was the one traveling all over the place and had been. You in- may have yes. gotten it during pregnancy. Did you? Did you? No. Okay. Okay. Then I don't know. They didn't tell me to. Vaccine. I mean, I might, I might okay. still boost anyway. I was like, okay. I was going to talk to my doctor about at the physio, but my understanding was breakthroughs were because people didn't have a high level, high enough level of titers. Is that not the case? Well, that's very, that's a very interesting question that you ask. And it means I have to like, just spend a minute on cells because what the antibody levels tell you, and you're right, a measles IgG level tells you you're circulating antibodies. Yes. But um, but many people don't get checked. You and your husband got checked, but many people don't get checked. And their IgG may have come down. But what the measles vaccine have, has given them is they've given them T cells, which protect you against severe disease, and B cells, which T cells help B cells make more antibodies if they need to. So for example, we don't, if there's a measles outbreak, say there's a measles outbreak in Marin because people weren't vaccinating their children um, up here in Northern California for a while. If they, if there was a measles outbreak, we only screen people for measles who look like they have measles, the typical um, rash and the typical symptoms. 
However, we do not put a swab in everyone's nose and see if they have measles in their nose. That's what we do in the context of COVID, but we never did that for any other infection. So we don't know if someone's having a very mild, didn't even notice it, uh, measles uh, uh, um, outbreak problem uh, because they're not swabbed routinely. We only swab those who are symptomatic. So this is just a unique feature of COVID that we tend to swab everyone during an outbreak to try to contain it. But um, we don't know if people have mild polio, mild measles, and that their antibodies are coming up to fight severe disease. So it's actually why, for example, I'll give you a good example. We don't give people the measles vaccine if they were born before 1965. We don't even check their titers because we just assume that they've seen measles. Yeah. They've had measles because, because the first vaccine was in 1965. And their antibodies may be down, but their T cells and B cells are there to protect them. Okay, so talk about breakthrough. So is it in fact a breakthrough when somebody has had a booster and they get COVID? Is that a breakthrough or is it just that the fact that what we talked about, that it's the vaccine is preventing against severe illness and death, but not against you getting it? I think there's confusion Correct. around this. I'm confused around it's this. It's so confusing because we used this phrase breakthrough. Yes. And that phrase implies failure, but it depends on how you define failure. Actually, why did we notice COVID to begin with? We never would have noticed COVID if Wuhan, China had reported to the WHO on December 31st, 2019, we have a mild coronavirus, we have a mild cold, we have a new cold. Um, we never would have noticed it. What made us notice COVID-19 is that it is a coronavirus that causes severe infections, severe what are called uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome, SARS. And so, um, and so it was always the goal of a vaccine to protect us against those that most dire of outcomes. We got spoiled. We thought it'd protect us against even seeing the virus at all. That simply isn't going to be possible. And this will relate to the fourth uh, boost conversation that we're likely not to boost everyone every four months, which is how long your antibodies last from a boost um, because that would be really logistically impossible to boost everyone in the planet every four months to prevent mild infections. We really have to start reframing our conversations about what was the entire point of even noticing COVID, stopping the world, getting a vaccine. It was to prevent these terrible outcomes. That's right. And just the other thing that we talked about back in August was natural immunity. Again, I didn't realize that was considered misinformation or, yeah. I mean, again, I thought that's confusing because I, I mean, anytime you get a virus, you're getting some level of immunity, aren't you? I, why was yes. that considered misinformation? And is it being recognized at all now as not necessarily as a, how is it being, how is it being understood as, as somewhat protective in terms of, you know, between vaccine and having some immunity? Like what, what's the current thinking from your, from your point of view? You're right that if you see the virus, you get a boost to your immune system. It's just like getting a booster. You basically increase your antibodies and you even in one study um, deepen your T cell immunity. So, so you absolutely get higher immunity by seeing the virus um, and by getting natural infection. The CDC does recognize natural infection, I think, because they released a very large study after Delta that showed that if you had been naturally infected in the past, that you were actually had a higher level of protection against Delta than two dose vaccines. This is a big CDC MMWR study. However, um, even though they released this study, 
I will say that the U.S. is behind in terms of acknowledging natural immunity as much as other countries do. For example, um, in places that are still using vaccine passports in Europe, you can show that you've had two dose vaccines or you can show that you've had a recent infection, that you have a PCR test that showed COVID. And we never did that in this country with our vaccine passports. Um, so we do, I think, need to acknowledge natural immunity because it's very silly not to. It's just silly. I mean, it's I, that's no other word. <laughs> I mean, if, if we didn't have natural immunity, we, we all would have, for to variety of pathogens, we all, um, you know, would have would have perished a long time ago. So natural yeah. immunity really matters. However, I do think, and I just wrote a clinical infectious disease paper on this, um, just two weeks ago, and I really got help from the editors of our, of our, this is our top premier journal of infectious disease, where we really thought about it and looked over the data. And I think that if you've had natural infection, you should still get one dose yeah. of the vaccine. And the reason is this, what you're referring to is really hybrid immunity, we call it, where you've seen both the infection and the vaccine, and it goes both ways. If you've had the vaccine and get natural infection, you strengthen your immunity. But the same as if you've had, say, COVID a year ago, getting one dose of the vaccine will strengthen your immunity. So I really recommend one dose. Yes. And you've been very consistent about that. You even said that on yes. back in August. So I really appreciate that. Um, and it's just helpful for people to hear it, understand. Um, you talked about one thing with the measles about, you know, we weren't just swabbing everyone yes. unless they were symptomatic. Is COVID, can you asymptomatically spread COVID or is, what's the thinking on that now? You know, at the beginning, we thought it was a very large part of the spread. Yeah. However, there's actually been some very nice, especially in Hong Kong, household contact tracing studies that show that asymptomatic spread is actually pretty low. It's about 0.7%. And usually you're spreading right before you have symptoms or when you have symptoms. If we really look back at the influenza literature, um, even influenza, right before you have symptoms, you can spread. And so it's going to become a decision that society makes. Well, I think a society's already made it actually uh, over the last couple of months, whether contact tracing and um, mass testing is going to stop the virus in its tracks. And what I mean by has society made that decision, the CDC just about two weeks ago stopped contact tracing, stopped recommending contact tracing. Mm. COVID. And that actually is in the context of Omicron. It's so transmissible. You really can't find all the contacts and try to stop it in its tracks. Um, this is the, the fundamental decision that China is grappling with right now. Is testing and contact tracing going to stop the virus or is vaccinating older people the best thing that we can do? Hong Kong is a really good example right now. It really tried COVID zero policies for a long time, but Omicron just got out. It just does. It, it's yes. so and now, and I'm very sad about this, because they had done COVID zero for so long, they hadn't worked as hard as vaccinating their older uh, people. Uh, yes. They don't have the perfect vaccine. Cinefarm and Cinevac are the two vaccines they have. They're a little less effective. They absolutely need three doses. So they haven't boosted a lot of their older population. And unfortunately, their hospitalizations and deaths at this moment in time, you know, uh, March 23rd are very high. Uh, uh, they had very little natural immunity because of COVID zero. And then um, they hadn't vaccinated adequately. Totally different than New Zealand or Australia, who are also COVID zero, but vaccinated really well. Same with South Korea, hospitalizations and deaths staying well. Yeah. Well, cases are going up. Yeah. Just highlighting the importance of the vaccine. So um, important. As part of, I know. And that you, you know, and you drove that home the first time around as well. Um, let's talk masks. 
And so new data came out. I mean, have there been any randomized control trials done at this point? Is there any new data? I know that we're hearing that cotton masks no longer work, but it took two years to figure that out. Or is it because of Omicron? I mean, where are we with masking and what is the off-ramp? I mean, here in California, you're also in California uh, and many states, you know, it's been lifted, but, you know, many people are still choosing. I think, again, there's confusion around masks. Yes. So I wrote a piece yesterday in uh, Smerikonish uh, CNN, which is endemic management uh, of COVID. And I actually, the last point was not to bring mask mandates back, but I'll explain why. So, um, so I wrote a lot about masking at the beginning of the pandemic, but actually our hypothesis in our group was that masking cloth masking even reduced the severity of disease. And that was based on observational studies. And then the NIH actually ended up doing a study that showed that cloth masks humidified the air behind your mouth, and it may have prevented COVID from slipping down into your lungs as well. So it probably did reduce the severity of disease. In a way, isn't that immaterial if you have vaccines? Because uh, having vaccines is the most incredible and kind of more foolproof um, way to prevent the severe, you know, to reduce the severity of disease. So um, that cloth mask hypothesis that we had has to go away after vaccines. Let's let's forget about it because why wear a cloth mask, just get vaccinated. Okay. So then the next question is, do they stop transmission? And at least in the randomized control trial data, which the largest one is a community cluster level randomized control trial conducted in Bangladesh um, and published in science, there was actually very little effect on transmission to others. Um, they actually released the raw data, which was really kind of them, the, the study authors and people reanalyzed the raw data. And it wasn't, it wasn't a huge effect um, uh, of cloth masks and preventing transmission. So then this leads to the final purpose of masks. What are the final purpose of masks? They really are to protect you. Um, and you can wear the right mask and you can protect yourself. And that's called one-way masking. And yes, it has to be the right mask. It's not a cloth mask, actually. It has to be either an N95, a KN95. Now we have these new options that people have made, an FFP2, a KF94, a cloth plus a surgical mask, or you can even do a cloth mask with a filter inside. We studied that um, and then replace the filter every three days. Those six mask options are very helpful to protect you as an individual for two reasons. Number one, you just don't want exposure to respiratory pathogen. That is your prerogative. You know, that is absolutely, you just don't want it. I hear many people saying, haven't had a cold for two years. I'm going to mask. That is absolutely your choice. Second is um, during crowded indoor settings. If you're particularly vulnerable, my father, for example, at the moment is 87 and getting chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, he is wearing one of those strong masks inside. I'm not letting him out of the house without it. Yes. So um, so that one-way masking really protects yourself. But blanket mask mandates, I don't think will ever come back. Um, what the CDC did is they said, okay, we're going to base mask recommendations based on hospitalization rates. That's what they did on February 24th, 2021, 2022. Because what they were saying is, hey, what? why did we do these lockdowns, masks, distancing, contact tracing? testing, why did we do all these so-called non-pharmaceutical interventions? We did it to keep our hospitals have good capacity to take care of patients. So they linked that NPI, that non-pharmaceutical intervention, to having our hospitals have less than 10 patients in the hospital over 100,000 population. I think that was wise. But do I think that mask blanket mask mandates are going to come back? I doubt it because of this transmission data. 
that it really seems to protect you. And then every parent should decide for themselves if they want their child masked or not. And some parents, even as mask mandates have been released, are sending their kids to school with a mask because they're like, hey, they haven't had a cold for two years. And some parents are like, you know what? I want my child to have a cold um, because it maybe it increases their immune system and diversity and, and reduces allergies. And I'm, I'm, I'm done with the mask. So I think it's going to be choice. Okay. Two questions on that. One is, does it matter vaccine status in terms of whether or not you choose to mask um, indoors and outdoors? And is it, does it make sense? Did it ever make sense to mask outdoors? I mean, the kids have been masking for PE all year um, outside. Um, and we're a family who's been very, very, very uh, conservative, you know, yeah. but at some point I just wonder, you know, are, are there actually long-term implications of wearing a mask eight to 10 hours a day for two years. I mean, this is not something that is happening in any culture, even cultures like Japan who do mask during flu seasons or whatever. It's not every day. And right. you know, I just wonder about if there's any other harms that could be coming from. I, I yeah. think it never made sense to mask outside. And I wrote a piece for Wall Street Journal in April 2021. So it was pretty long ago now, almost a year that goes over all the data on how low outside transmission is. If you want the most incredible intervention for COVID-19, it's ventilation, which is why the White House is working on ventilation as part of their um, COVID preparedness plan. Okay. Door setting. So being outside, that's as ventilated as it gets. And really, there's just very, very in, inconclusive evidence that there's really outside transmission. So um, I think it never made sense outside. And the WHO has also been clear about that. The inside setting um, definitely cl close, unventilated indoor spaces is where the risk for any respiratory pathogen is at its most. And the indoor setting, again, parents can still choose to have their children mask. Um, and that's always going to be a prerogative. And in fact, we're watching some parents say yes, some parents say no, not everyone's embracing uh, mask mandates lifting. But are there harms? I mean, I will say that I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the, all the articles in the New York Times now about how girls aren't removing their masks, but boys are. There's an appearance question. They don't want to show their faces. I mean, you never know the untoward effects of something that you did two years. And to me, it means that the way I think of any pandemic management, because HIV, we've done this totally differently than we did COVID. We always looked at the risks and benefits of whatever we were doing every step of the way. Hey, oral sex isn't as risky as... Um, as general sex. Okay. Then let's tell people to have oral sex. Like, you know, I'm sorry to compare that. To <laughs> it's okay. But, but we were always reevaluating data and saying, how do we do harm reduction? How do we say, Hey, of course people want to be around each other in case of COVID around. Of course people want to have sex. What, what can we do in terms of reducing the harms of any intervention that we do? Keep on cross-checking yourself with school closures, was that harmful? Looks like it was. So let's let's open them up. So, you know, it's this kind of constant reevaluation process that we have to do. And sometimes people find themselves surprised two years later that we're still doing the same thing. So I think we do have to always evaluate next time if there's a pandemic. Thank you. And vaccine status in terms of masking indoors or not? Well, that was a, that's a very interesting question because I was always pushing for masks off-ramps, which I talked about in August with you, yes. to be linked to vaccination status and hospitalization status. Yes. And say like 70% of the population vaccinated and a low hospitalization rate. And I wrote a piece in April 2021 in Washington Post that said that both 
factors should come into play. However, the CDC did not actually do that on February 24th this year when they released their mask guidance. They didn't link it to vaccination rates. They just linked back uh, unmasking to hospitalization rates. And to be fair, that was actually their way of acknowledging natural immunity because we had just been through Omicron surge. There was a lot of immunity infused into our population and that led to lower hospitalizations, even even in places that had lower vaccinations. So they kept purely to a hospitalization rate And I think that's just fine. I mean, given the question that we just said about hybrid immunity, what you're really doing is you're linking it to what matters the most, which is the hospitalization rates in your community that you know that you have to do things, um, non-pharmaceutical interventions to keep your hospitals uh, able to take care of patients. So I think the way they did it, though I probably would have done it differently, was fine. Yeah. And with Omicron not being able to, the vaccine not protecting against Omicron for mild case, then in a way, right. And I feel like we we're living in a very divided world right now, especially in the United States, Dr. Gandhi, Um, any thoughts on how people should be treating one another? And, you know, there's, I think a lot of people are feeling discriminated against. And I think there's people who were boosted, who should feel confident that they're okay, who don't want to be around anyone who they don't feel like is safe, but I don't know if they don't understand that the vaccine isn't is protecting them. You know what I mean? So it's very confusing to me. I actually think your question that you just asked is one of the most important questions I can think of, because what to me was so amazing about this current time is people not recognizing how well the vaccines work. And also, in a way, our public health officials not extolling how well they work. If you're vaccinated and boosted, your risk of dying from COVID is actually 0.00003, four zeros, and then a three. That is much less than the risk that you take every day from other of your activities. There is a paper that I just saw published um, in, which I'll actually send you for your readers, calculate COVID odds. And it really tells you that what you just said is very interesting. Often Democrats who are boosted, vaccinated and boosted are more afraid of COVID than people who are unvaccinated. And this talks about this poll that the New York Times did. Yes. Oh, low your rate of death is. In fact, a child uh, 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 is, frankly, is more likely to be killed in a car accident, unfortunately, or commit suicide than than die of COVID. So all of that together, and I'll send you this article because it really calculates, means that we are in a good place. Yes. Our COVID vaccines, if you're vaccinated and boosted, you should feel really very protected from something that was so scary Yeah. Um, for two full years. And I also think that your humanity, you know, manifesting your humanity by being around people. I don't find that a selfish thing. In fact, I'm kind of surprised on Twitter when people say it's selfish to want to go back to normal, because how is it selfish to feed your soul and to be around others? And also, how is it selfish to open up medical care or schools or alcohol rehabilitation services or all the things that ended up not getting very much attention? And and we are seeing the, the profound effects of um, you know, people not being able to get the treatment that they need, like cancer screening. So I, I I, think, you know, when this phrase normal gets bandied about, like it's a bad word. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anything normal about COVID in the sense that we are never going to stop vaccinating, figuring out who needs a booster, fourth dose, giving therapeutics for those who are vulnerable, 
and surveilling. We're never going to stop those. That's not normal. That We didn't do that two years ago. But let the medical system and the healthcare system do that. And I think that people should be feeling really protected, like you just said, to have their normal lives. Okay. I love it. And I know you have to go. Can I just ask, this is maybe... It's hard to ask you to speculate, but where where are we going? New variant coming, the news cycle starts, you know, fear rackets. You know, I feel like we're just looping. How do we get back to normal? That was actually my question. I didn't realize normal again was considered <laughs> It can be considered selfish by some, but I, I, I think that's only on Twitter. Um, I will tell you that uh, that this new BA2 variant, at least, which is a sub-variant of Omicron, um, doesn't seem to be increasing cases in our country. In fact, Dr. Fauci just said this morning that it's now 35% of our COVID cases and we haven't seen a surge. So we're hoping we're going to dodge the, the surge from BA2. That's probably because um, it looks so much like BA1 and we saw a lot of BA1, yeah. the other subvariant of Omicron. So we have a lot of natural immunity to BA1 and we have high vaccination rates at this point in our, in our country. And we didn't see in Denmark... Um, or South Korea, for example, increase in hospitalizations and deaths uh, with BA2. This is only happening, unfortunately, with lower rates of vaccination like Hong Kong. So I, I think BA2, we're okay. Okay, but what about that next variant that's going to come? Exactly. It absolutely come. I'm sorry to say, but that is with those 29 animal um, reservoirs, with not the whole world vaccinated, which is why number four of the Biden plan is to vaccinate the world, because at least I think everyone needs at least one dose, even if they've seen Omicron. Um, we are always going to be at risk for more variants. However, this is how I think of a new variant. If we have a new variant in the future, so far, our vaccines have always protected us against severe disease. Always. Um, it's just the mild infection that we're less protected against. So we'll probably boost if we see a new variant, all older people, because they really need to have their uh, antibodies nice and high versus mm -hmm. circulating because they, unlike you and I, they can't wait for their B cells to take a little time to make the antibodies Yes, wait. But my father at 87 cannot wait. He needs another boost to keep his antibodies up. So we'll probably boost everyone every time there's a new old who's older, every time there's a new variant. Mm -hmm. There is also one thing that I feel like no one's talking about enough, but um, there are other vaccines out there, one made in India that shows you the entire virus. You know how our mRNA vaccines just show you the spike protein of the virus? This is called Covaxin, and it's made with an adjuvant that was funded by the NIH, so I really trust it, as opposed to Sinopharm and Sinovac, which are less effective. Covaxin, with help with the NIH, shows you the entire virus. It's actually the virus killed and then given to you. That is a great booster Say if you have a variant in the future that's super mutated all across the spike protein, you want to see the whole virus. You want to see the nucleic capsid. You want to see parts of the virus over here and here and here. You don't want to just see the spike protein. And so that I am really urging the FDA to approve that for our country so that next this time next year, if we get a new variant that's very mutated, we're going to need a Covaxin booster. And that's my next editorial that I'm going to write. Oh my God, you're so great. <laughs> Do you think people should goodness. test the nucleocapsid test? Well, this will tell us if we've had natural infection and there was a big CDC study that showed that at least 43% of us in this country have seen the virus and 56% of children. I actually don't even trust the CDC study as much as I do the NIH study. They did even a bigger study that's called on the COVID data hub. I can send this to you. And they say that 70% of children have nucleocapsid antibodies, zero to 17. That's pretty amazing. If that many children have seen, uh, have seen the virus, it can make, uh, while we're waiting for the 
little child vaccine, which is coming, I think Moderna just released their results today for six months to six-year-olds. Um, we know that a lot of our children have been exposed and so they have some natural immunity. So I think a lot of us have seen the virus. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to test just out of curiosity. Yeah. That's the way to do it is nuclear capsid antibody to know if you've seen it. Yeah. Well, antibody only tells you if you've been vaccinated or seen it. Yeah, I did that one. My antibodies were really high still. I don't know. (laughs) These vaccines and the boosters work so well. I mean, that just, I think that's a final, you know, commentary of this. We didn't understand how well they work. They work. I think it's because it's invisible. I think it's because immunity is invisible and a mask is a visible symbol. Mm. But I think that immunity, you don't even realize how well it's working because it's invisible. You're not like you maybe measured your antibodies, but a lot of people haven't. And, and it's, it's, they don't realize that they are really protected against what scared them the most, which was severe disease. Yeah. Well, I could keep you on forever, but I won't because <laughs> you have a busy day ahead of you. Where can Thank people you follow you on Twitter, right? I will link that in the show notes yes. at goodlifecoach.com. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for your time and all of the commitment you had to educating all of us. It's so appreciated. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much. And I'll send you a couple of things. Please you. do. I know I was making notes. Okay. okay I'll okay. get those articles. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.